Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. The idea of trying to level things up for women makes sense. We know that, particularly in some parts of the world, women fall a long way behind. We can see this in earning differences, ownership of property, access to the internet or mobile phones, participation in decision-making. The list goes on. But how do we actually go about levelling things up? Meet my social impact pioneers today, Cesar Mehta Aspiri and Giselle Steele. Together, they have nearly 30 years' experience working on women's empowerment. Recently, they have been focused on what they call gender-transformative approaches. During this conversation, we're going to deep dive, not only into what this means, but the practicalities of bringing this to life for businesses everywhere, across value chains. Cesar heads up the Global Gender Unit at IDH, the Sustainable Trade Initiative. He's a business-orientated gender expert with hands-on experience in private and non-profit organizations, active in impact investing and sustainable value chains. Cesar, having studied for a master's and an MBA, he is now following a PhD in anthropology focused on gender equality in cocoa and coffee value chains. While Giselle is the private sector gender advisor for Oxfam's business advisory service, OBAS. Giselle has led corporate responsibility and sustainability programs in partnership with the private, public and third sector in countries ranging from Brazil, India, UK and Sri Lanka. Her experiences range beyond corporate sustainability to include startup incubators, refugee and migrant support, but always with a focus on gender and social inclusion. So Giselle, Cesar, welcome. Thanks, Katie. Great to be here. Thank you. Great to be here too. Oh, it's great to have you. Now, we've done a little bit of prep and chat before we started this conversation today. So for anybody listening, Cesar is going to tell the stories and be the sort of the colourful colour inner of the of the picture, whereas Giselle's going to lead out the answers to each of the questions with the probably the information that we all need to hear. So Giselle, I'm going to lead out our first conversation starter today uh, with you. You've been working on gender transformative approaches. What does this actually mean for anybody who's normal who hasn't been working on this? Nice. Thanks, Katie. So Really, gender transformative approaches are about going beyond the symptoms and trying to address the root causes of poverty, vulnerability and inequality with a strong gender lens. So what we mean by that is looking at what the social norms, attitudes and practices are that sustain discrimination, particularly around gender, but also around other areas um, of identity as well, and applying an intersectional lens to understand what are the particular identities in terms of race, uh, disability, gender that have an impact on people across the globe really but particularly in this case when we're talking about gender transformative approaches we're thinking about how it impacts 
workers and smallholder farmers in supply chains. So gender transformative approaches can be really beneficial and really impactful because they really try and get to the root of the problem. It's not just about looking at what the the symptoms are of inequality, rather it's saying, well, what is the actual cause? And then looking at the specific barriers that groups like women and other vulnerable groups face to try and overcome them. So in practice, in terms of the work that we do at Oxfam, a really interesting case is the work that's been happening in cocoa farming in Ghana. Uh, And in terms of understanding what the issues are in terms of inequality there, um, one of the key challenges is that the ratio of men to women in cocoa farmers in Ghana is seven to three. So it's a crop that is dominated by men who control the crop, but also the resources around it. But women make a massive contribution to cocoa farming with offering about 40 percent of the labour force in the agricultural sector in Ghana, which is essential for its sustainability. But despite this, They face so many different constraints to be able to access productive resources like land, labour, control over incomes. And they also have to contend with the greater burden of unpaid care and domestic work and lagging behind in terms of the amount of income they receive compared to men, which is often about 25 to 30 percent less. And gender transformative approaches are key to trying overcoming these barriers because they enable lasting systems change by tackling those root root causes that we talk about. So what's behind this inequality? What's causing women to be constantly battling to try and be equal to their male counterparts. And by looking at ways to bring about change on both an individual and systemic level, gender transformative approaches uh, bring about this change both formally and informally. And that's what we're really sort of passionate about pushing forward in business. Cesar, is there anything that you want to add to that opening? Yeah, yeah, I totally align with uh, Giselle's concept of gender transformative approaches. What we're doing at IDH is to really highlight the business side of gender equality. We believe that gender equality is good for business. Gender equality, and there is evidence, there is data that confirms that gender equality, when we have more women, and not only more women, but women playing a central role in value change, change, they help building up more stronger, resilient supply chains. The number of clients are increased where companies are able to retain employees. And at the same time, we improve the life and livelihoods of people and the environment. So, and this really applies to every sector. Of course, in in coffee, there are many examples, like in uh, Indonesia, just by providing ungendered training, which means that you do not only consider the needs of men and preferences when you do the training, but also of women. It shows that 131% increase of supply of of coffee by farmers. And this is just by picking the right times for those training that also work for women, building up a curriculum that also works for women, and also having men and women in the same uh, joint workshops to to both share a common vision of what means uh, managing in a household and the income they get, how can they distribute the income, so it's also better business for them themselves. So, yeah, many, many examples also in the onion sector, yeah, different sectors. So I think uh, that business perspective towards gender transformation is what we are trying to highlight at IDH. And so we're working towards gender transformative business models. Thank you so much, Cesar. And I, our podcast is a lot about what you're working on, but I also care deeply about you guys and um, your journeys too. And I was wondering whether you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about, you know, how did you guys get into this? Giselle, how did you 
start on this journey? Yeah, so for me, I think the journey and particularly the interest in gender equality and, and looking at tackling those issues came about from living in Brazil, in Rio, uh, and doing quite a lot of work there with social entrepreneurs, primarily from favela communities in the city. And I was uh, really impressed, particularly, I mean, naturally, this the group of entrepreneurs I worked with were women. They were from a variety of backgrounds, but due to the barriers that they faced in trying to get into employment, they set up their own businesses with a social purpose to sort of cover two goals, really. So to, to live sustainably, but also to try and create some positive impact within their communities. And I was really amazed by their passion and enthusiasm, um, but also frustrated by the number of barriers that they faced as women social entrepreneurs in that space due to discrimination because of their gender, because of their race, because of their social class, and actually sort of think reflecting on if they had you know, access to all of the opportunities that many groups have, you know, in spite of their gender, they would be able to fulfill their full potential. And actually, there's a real, there was a real opportunity there to, to see there was a gap in what those women were able to access. But also on the other side, uh, private sector companies with resources that could help them to grow their businesses or overcome some of the particular challenges that they were facing. But on the other side, those companies are saying, well, we don't know where these social entrepreneurs are. We aren't able to make connections uh, with these groups to try and help them further their businesses. And so I think I was motivated about trying to bridge that gap between women, those women social entrepreneurs in Rio, but also more broadly thinking about how to overcome the barriers that they were facing by engaging the private sector and enabling them to use the resources that they have to play a role in supporting these women to go further. Uh, and that's what led me uh, to begin working with the Oxfam Business Advisory Service, which I started at last year. And the, the role of that service is to influence and work with business to bring about change within their supply chains, looking at human rights, looking at gender, gender equality and increasing worker voice. And what we want to do is work with companies to look at how they can shift power and support women and marginalised groups to control the resources themselves and have a place at the table in terms of making decisions. And what's really interesting about gender transformative approaches is that that's the central point. It's not just about giving women more resources necessarily. It's actually having them be in control of those resources and deciding how they're used to further their enterprises or to support their communities or whatever it is that they think is, is necessary to, to, to get further. And, and really about sort of giving that power over to women and other marginalised groups is something that I'm really passionate about and, and really excited about continuing to do. Oh, cool. And for anybody listening, I'll put the link to the Oxfam Business Advisory Service into the words that sit alongside so that you guys can find out more about it. Cesar, what about yourself? Like, how did you get into working in this space? Yeah, well, many reasons. First of all, I'm somebody who's really committed to helping others, basically, and mostly poor in rural areas. I'm originally from Peru, so I have a kind of a in-depth exposure to what can be very uh, tough rural life and work, and also aware of the benefits that agricultural sector can bring to society. So this is why I, 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 my work experience has been focusing on impact investing. I've been working in that sector for over 15 years. And then particularly on gender equality, I mean, all the organizations I've been working have been involving or integrating gender equality in their operations. You know, it's uh, the focus on gender equality already have many years. And uh, maybe in the past, we, we call it in different way. Today, sometimes we call it as genderless investments. Or there are different terms, but at the end of the day, is basically my interest in working on 
very practical and concrete and business-minded solutions to promote gender equality. But at the same time, I do believe that there is this is an approach involving the private sector that can benefit everybody. So that's something that uh, really moved me to, to work on this sector. And also, uh, being a man, sometimes, I mean, we are today, let's say, it's in a privileged side, right? I mean, it's difficult for, for, for men to be aware of what are the, the bias, the challenges, etc. So for me, it's also interested from, a, let's say, cultural perspective to understand what is society. I mean, I'm following a PhD in anthropology and gender equality really to understand all these structural reasons or barriers and the solutions in this sector. And I can tell you, for example, my wife is somebody who, uh, she lives as a woman, all these challenges. and She's been also feeding me for, with this perspective, and this has built, has helped me to build these gender lenses that I am applying in my professional life and also in my personal life. It's so interesting that both of you talk about the kind of, I guess, the system changes, but the intersections between business and social issues and how there sort of needs to be this kind of holistic approach to it in order to sort of really tackle tackle the root problem. And I want to go back to the kind of gender transformative approaches that we talked about to start with and wondered whether you wouldn't mind painting a picture a bit for us around what this might look like in practice. So whether it's about embedding into ways of doing business or more. Giselle, would you mind leading us out? Sure. So um, from our point of view, meaningful participation from diverse perspectives is key. And, And what we mean by that is thinking about who is around the table when we're talking about gender transformative approaches and what that looks like in practice, it's about having those diverse perspectives reflected in the people that are making decisions, in the resources that are being allocated to create that system's change. Whilst the ambition can be there to provoke change uh, in, you know, in tackle inequality and poverty, if it's the same people making those decisions that are sustaining those systems, then it's really difficult to bring about that change. And we really need to have Uh, women and marginalised groups being represented in these conversations, making decisions and having an influence. And so in some work that we did recently with the International Coffee Organisation, one of the main recommendations there was that they would work closely with organisations representing women producers in their efforts to try and tackle inequality in the coffee sector. So working with organisations like the International Women's Coffee Alliance as a way to understand the needs and priorities of women producers and have that reflected in the strategies and plans that were being made. But in order to do this well, it's about investing in building the capacity of those organisations to engage and have those conversations because often they've been shut out and don't have the experience to be able to to participate at times. And also businesses looking at how they can build their own capacity to engage with these groups as well. And always coming back to that point of making the decision makers the people that we're trying to help. Actually, women and marginalised groups know what they need, but it's the fact that they don't have access to those resources or the ability to make decisions that are the real barrier. And sort of in practice, um, that's been seen in cocoa in Ghana as well. The Ghana Cocoa Board has been supporting the formation of solely women-led cooperatives to try and support more women producers to have that space at the, ta- the, space at the table and to pay attention to their needs. And another sort of area which is often looked at when looking at women's income in farming is about looking at alternative livelihood sources. So looking at other crops that women can work on to then be able to bring some further income into the household. But in terms of applying a gender transformative approach, it's about saying, well, how can we have more women playing a bigger role in the main crop? So in coffee and cocoa, challenging that male dominance and giving women space to take up roles 
in those sectors as well. And to do that well, it's about analysing, uh, taking a gender analysis uh, and looking at where the gaps are in the services that are available and the resources that are out there for women and all farmers, and then tracking progress. So it's all very well making the commitments to apply gender transformative approaches, making the plans. But if there aren't clear targets around what is trying to be achieved, if there isn't gender disaggregated data being collected, then there's no way of knowing what progress is being is being made. And really to build accountability, businesses need to be tracking their progress, setting targets, and then talking about what they're doing and sharing the learnings as well as a way forward. It's, it seems quite simple and common sense, but those basic things are really fundamental to being able to make progress in terms of gender transformative approaches. Oh, some great advice there for business, oh, well, people within businesses uh, to uh, to set in action. And I will, again, I'll try and put some of those notes into the words that sit alongside so that you guys can kind of follow and pick up um, any of those pieces. Uh, Cezanne, I just wondered whether you wanted to add to any of those kind of pieces of advice in some respects, like how do you put this into practice? Right. So I completely agree that this needs to have a holistic approach, right, in terms of uh, not only like gender, race, uh, age, etc., but also on the parties involved to make systemic change. In practice, what we do, and we have to, following this business approach I was referring to at the beginning of this talk, what we try to do is to really bring businesses understanding this concept of uh, gender equality makes uh, sense for business. And we do that by just, uh, for example, we, we, we develop a gender tool. So it's a tool that helps you to understand what is the, the status, where, where do you stand as a business, as a company, as a project in this journey towards gender transformation. So you can, as a result of this assessment of this tool, you can be categorized as an um, unintentional gender project, which means that you, you, you really are gender blind. You don't, have a, you don't understand, you're not aware on the, on the different needs and constraints men and women has, have. Uh, or you can be categorized as gender intentional, which means that you can understand those needs some different needs and preferences, and then you take certain steps to, to promote gender equality. Or you can be gender transformative, which is what uh, Giselle mentioned at the beginning of this talk, which is really going on, on the roots, causes of gender equality and changing. So that tool, it first helps us to assess first where does each business or project stands on this category. Second, it helps us to recommend key interventions to improve their way into that journey. And third, it uh, sets certain uh, KPIs to really measure the progress on those goals that the, each uh, business or project is setting. So this is uh, basically a way that practical way what we use to work together with our partners, projects to go together and walk the journey toward gender transformative approaches. It sounds amazing on paper. It sounds it makes lots of sense as well. Like it just makes perfect logical sense that we should be putting the decision makers who are you're actually trying to impact at the heart of everything but you must have had some problems along this it can't have all been super easy what have you learned on the journey what have been the challenges and again you know if if others are listening who might be thinking of trying to do this what would you advise them not to do in some respects um Giselle do you want to go first sure so in terms of reflecting on learnings and challenges Perhaps I'll start with the challenges and then sort of learnings that can come from that. 
I think the key thing is to recognise that gender transformative change, which is what these approaches are trying to get at, takes time and it's complicated. It's not easy to bring about this systems change. We're talking about on a policy level, on a community level, on an individual level, it really requires a lot of time and effort. But there's a tendency to focus on quick wins when it comes to advancing gender equality uh, and wanting to see those changes overnight. But if we really want to change attitudes and behaviours, which underpin these, in, these inequalities and mean these barriers stay in place, it does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it also requires ongoing investment of time and resources to see it through. So making the plans, deciding what the targets are around advancing gender equality, but recognising that, you know, it's not necessarily linear. It's a journey that might take you around on, a, on some, you know, in circles and not necessarily getting from A to B in a very straightforward way, because it's about changing the sort of fundamental beliefs that people have. But that's not to say it's impossible. Uh, it's just about being consistent with the effort and the commitment uh, and seeing that at a leadership level. So having that buy-in within a company sort of from the CEO right through to the workers with a real commitment to, to actually trying to make these approaches work and embedding it in the work of a company uh, on, on different levels. And then in practical terms, it's sort of being clear and engaging with women, but also with men. So I think Cesar's point earlier was a really interesting one where he talked about sort of when he sort of is talking to his wife about some of the issues that she faces as a woman. Actually, it's about uh, men in, you know, in business and different sectors sort of recognising their role to sort of be champions for these issues and actually to push forward and give space uh, for women to be able to sort of take up more of these positions, to encourage and support marginalised groups to have a say and have some influence. And again, it's not necessarily easy because it requires sort of critically reflecting and sort of challenging your own position um, and influence and power that certain groups have. But it's, again, remembering that it's a, it's a long journey, but it's one that you have to take those steps. And by having a clear plan that you're following, by having targets to track how effectively you're performing, that's a way to see where progress is being made, but also to learn and you know, change the approach. If it's not working, then perhaps it's again looking at what you can do differently and seeing what you can learn from what hasn't been effective. But you know, always not giving up and remembering that it's it's about sort of trying to make the system change that will take time but will have a lasting impact if we deliver on it. So it's worth that investment and worth that commitment as well. Thank you so much, Giselle. And Suzanne, did you kind of experience the same sort of challenges when trying to sort of really embed this and, and make this work? Yeah. Yes, it's really, it's, it's, it's tough. For example, FarmFit, which is our unit at IDH that is focusing on service delivery models with uh, smallholders, make a study and an analysis that out of 58 agricultural-based organizations that we work with, only 4% were gender transformative. 36% were gender intentional, and 60% majority was gender unintentional. And we are trying to, to work towards gender transformative uh, approaches, right? So imagine when you, you are gender blinded and so you, you have zero. So it's tough. And it's tough because many reasons. I would say in, in, in a general perspective, um, first you need to have the companies buy-in, the private sector. As uh, Giselle pointed out, it's, it's important to have leadership buy-in to be able that they really engage and think about gender equality as a business strategy. Also challenges the gender terminology. Now we're talking about gender transformative, uh, gender intentional, gender unintentional, right? All these terms, 
for uh, we as a gender experts, we really like using that terminology, but maybe businesses for them is so complicated. What do you mean? I mean, when when a, when does a project or a business becomes gender transformative? What is the what's changing the roots of equality? I mean, so difficult sometimes, right? So that's also being a challenge. And of course, it's really the high upfront investments in uh, in gender equality interventions that I mean changing the roots of inequality, it will take some time to really uh, have results. So that's, that's a, in general, I would say the, the challenges, and specifically the challenges, and I would say, for example, related to income, right? Living income or better income, as we define it at the age, are related to maybe more systematic issues, you know, social norms, legal aspects, education, systemic issues, and then enable environments. Particularly when, for example, we talk about living income, we talk about household level, right? It's not that you are talking about increasing the income for benefit only of the farmer, but the household level. So from a gender lens perspective, that really involves analyzing and assessing, okay, who is member of that household, men, women, what are the preferences again, right? And how can you make, for example, joint decision-making works in practice? How can you make sure that this uh, the value, the income that the household is getting is used and is distributed accordingly to meet their needs, everybody's needs? But also, whose role is to do that? I mean, we as a private sector, do we have any responsibility, power, to tell them what to do. I mean, if, I mean, I don't know uh, you, Katy, but if somebody comes to tell you, hey, you have to, yeah, you have to make joint decision uh, making in your house, you will you say, oh, why? This is my own business, right? So it's also a challenge to present this business case also to the farmers, right? And, and these uh, root causes of related to cultural uh, components of patriarchy or et cetera are like different, to ch- difficult to change over time. And, and finally, we sometimes the challenges. We're trying to sometimes empower women, giving their, them more activities to do, taking leadership roles. But at the same time, they're keeping, taking care of the household activities. So they have really a lot of burden, right? So maybe sometimes the point is not to give them to do more, but making them to do less sometimes, you know, in, in, in a way that I'm trying to uh, present. So it's uh, so the diversions needs to be efficient. Otherwise, we may be adding more problems than solutions. Well, really important points then. And, and lots you just don't necessarily think through until you're like on the ground, you're like, oh, actually, you know, you're trying to address both system change from so many different angles. We've made this podcast really practical, like it's really kind of advice driven and like, you know, how do you potentially implement this gender transformative approaches? And I wondered whether we could just delve into that one more time. So for advice for business, for farmers themselves, for NGOs who are working on this, why gender transformative? And I wonder whether you touched on it a little bit there, you know, the business case sometimes feels a little bit could be a bit difficult to, to translate. So what's your approach to trying to land the business case for, for each of those groups? Giselle, would you mind just sharing your thoughts on that? There's a lot of this thinking has been done. It's not necessarily having to come up with the reasons why it's worth the time for businesses to actually be interested and take advantage of gender transformative approaches. There's lots of resources and learning out there 
about the benefits to business, about the benefits to farmers, about the impact that gender transformative approaches can have on tackling inequality and poverty and, and big issues that are affecting communities. So really take the time perhaps to just look at what's already out there and see what's relevant to your business, to your organisation and tailor what's there. Uh, so in the work that the Oxfam Business Advisory Service did for the International Coffee Organization, we actually created a gender transformative tracker tool, uh, which was aiming to help any organization or stakeholder in the coffee sector to be able to understand where they were at on this scale of, to Cesar's point earlier, both being gender intentional or unintentional, being gender sensitive, and then sort of the efforts to be gender transformative, and then providing lots of different ideas of approaches and things that stakeholders could do to strengthen their approach or to try out to think about what they can be doing to advance this really important topic. And I think it's about really making the most of, of what's out there, but also connecting with the women and the groups you're trying to support and really understanding what are their challenges. There's no need to sort of you know, sit in isolation and try and come up with what are the big problems, what are the solutions. A lot of the time, the farmers, the women, the, the marginalized groups themselves know what they need, but it's just they're not having access to those resources. So actually making that effort to connect with those groups, giving them the space to share the challenges and also go that step further to come up with the solutions or be part of the decision making in terms of the solutions, I think is very, very important. And then also making it a priority. So not something that's sidelined and that you know businesses will come to eventually, but rather in any sustainability initiative, really having gender being a central focus, because if businesses are getting it right, for women and vulnerable groups, and the likelihood is that they are also getting it right for the wider workforce or for other people along their value chain, because it's those groups that face the greatest barrier to access this support or those resources. So if you can engage with them, then most likely you are engaging with other groups that don't face those same barriers. And then I think it's just about, you know, I think I said earlier, coming up with a, developing an action plan with clear targets about what it is you're trying to achieve. I think sometimes going into this you know, how can you advance gender equality or apply these approaches without a clear vision and, and targets of what you're trying to achieve? It can be very difficult to track progress. So really having some KPIs and then reporting against those. So not just setting the targets and then forgetting about them, but on a regular basis, reporting on those and then sharing the lessons that are learned. So all being well, it will all go smoothly and, you know, you'll achieve all the targets right on time. But also more likely is that there'll be things that don't go quite right, but it, there can be things that are learned from that process. So companies should take advantage of that and again work directly with women-led producer organizations to design those plans design those policies because then at least you know it's fit for purpose as much as it's meeting the needs of the groups that you're trying to support which I think is also really vital. Thank you Giselle and I'm fairly certain that if anybody wants to get in touch with either of you through LinkedIn or other social media activities um, to find out more and get advice. I, I'm pretty certain you might be open to <laughs> responding. Uh, Cesar, do you want to add, I mean, any further points to the whether it's the business case or like actually just advice to others who are interested in, in implementing this? Yeah, a couple of advice maybe, if I may. We would really need to, to think strategically about how to integrate gender to your work. Because this issue, the main problem is that gender is everywhere. It touches everything. We, we call it at IDH that gender is a cross-cutting issue. So, uh, but since it's so broad, it sometimes it's lost, right? So, for example, at IDH, we work on better income, better jobs, better environments. And just to take as an example, our better income roadmap is well-developed. 
we define that that incorporates what is whether income for IDH is first higher income for the household, second stable income, which means that uh, improved cash flows and some protection for shocks and expected situations, and finally equitable income, which means that that's it, which is more related to gender equality, which means that the, the income you get, how to how you distribute it within the household and other variables. But that's, for example, a living income roadmap has been going its own way. And this year, for example, we are starting to integrate gender in that better income uh, roadmap to, to align how can we in concrete impact and what are the gender lenses that uh, we need to put on the different interventions that we're going to work with our partners. And we are aware of the risks and opportunities from a gender perspective, but now we have to put it in concrete. So I think to sum up, I think to, to, to take gender and to, to look at it from a, a strategic point of view and how to integrate it in practice to your work, I think it's really relevant. And the second uh, very important matter is data. When we work to our projects, what really makes a driver for, for really recognizing that a project or a partner is really interested and, and committed, committed to working for uh, gender transformative approaches is that is somebody who is started to take actions to build and to collect and analyze sexy disaggregated data. Because without, without data, we cannot understand where we stand. We can understand what are the interventions, the type of interventions we need, and we cannot uh, measure progress. So data is, is key. And a joint collaboration between the different actors, like now we're talking with you and Oxfam, this is really needed because I see every day in LinkedIn different tools, initiatives, organizations. So it would be great if we have just talked together, have some certain harmonization and see what is priority to have a common understanding of what is a gender transformative business model or gender transformative business approaches. And then a common agreement on how can we measure that and share and learn together. So and this conversation is, is a very good way to, to move towards that goal. Thank you. Ah, <laughs> oh, amazing. And, and watch this space. And that brings me to my final question for our conversation today. In the last couple of minutes, I just wondered whether you want to share, like, what's next for you? I mean, you guys have obviously, as you say, Giselle, there's loads of resources out there. Cesar, you're saying, like, you know, go onto LinkedIn, you'll find tons of activities going on. Like, what's next? Uh, Giselle, do you want to go first? Sure. So for us, it's about continuing the work we started, having this platform and, and other platforms to share the importance of gender transformative approaches and give examples of what it looks like in practice is really important. And so we talked earlier about the gender transformative tracker tool that we developed for the ICO, which is about helping companies to understand where they're at and how they can progress um, in terms of gender equality. And we want to be working more with companies to understand where the opportunities are to strengthen their work on gender. And we can provide advice and support to develop action plans, advise on policies, uh, and help companies to measure their impacts. That's a really key focus for the ongoing work that we'll be doing as part of the Oxfam Business Advisory Service. And then really excitingly, Oxfam has set itself a a global challenge around valuing women's work uh, and looking to work with the public and private sector and civil society to make sure that all work is valued, including informal and unpaid care work. So we talk a lot about the sort of the burden of uh, domestic work or unpaid care work on women uh, and or how it's unbalanced for women. Uh, and so the, the main sort of focus of that Valuing Women's Work campaign is about trying to highlight and create visibility around the magnificent impact that women make to society and putting more value on the different types of work 
and all the many forms it takes um, that women do and sort of having that be more valued by companies so they can understand why it's an important issue and what they can do to help manage that burden, to help give more visibility to women and support them to have access to the different resources they need to go further. So we're excited about that sort of campaign that will get started later in the year and the opportunity to really bring that issue around valuing women's work to the fore. Oh, watch out, everybody. <laughs> it's coming our <laughs> way. Um, Cesar, what about yourself? What's next for you, sir? Yeah, so many things. Very ambitious. So we at ADH, for example, we have a target to reach at least 100% gender intentional for our projects. So it means that we really need, we are already working on uh, by using our tool to set plans for uh, the new projects to, to reach that gender intentionality. Very ambitious approach, but I think if we do not work on gender to improve gender equality, it means that, in my view, we are supporting the current uh, status quo, right? So we are in favor or against it. So there is no middle way. So we are, we are working towards having at least 100% gender intentional and 10% gender transformative. We will keep, of course, refining our tool, learning by doing, right? I think uh, that's the best approach. And uh, we have internally at IDH a structure of gender champions. It's just uh, people from the different units at field level and headquarters that are really interested in pushing gender equality integration into our projects. So that's, I think it's, it's a nice way to expand our message and action globally. And then also we are focusing not only with regards, yes, by IDH alone, but we are, for example, now developing a gender roadmap for gender transformative business models together with CGAP as a result of a gender event we had uh, last year. And we're going to invite, of course, other organizations that are very happy to, to work under uh, gender transformative business models. And basically, this is more a work to really together define what are these gender transformative business models? Can, how can we align of, on, on, on metrics? How to measure them? How can we disseminate knowledge? How can we pilot together tests? Etc. So there is a lot of work there, and uh, I'm very excited that uh, opportunities like in this uh, postcard, we can a bit expand our contribution to in thoughtful leadership. And last but not least, we are working internally at IDH to us to become a gender transformative organization. We cannot push, request, encourage others to work on that without us being given the example of being a gender transformative because we also think that it's good for business but also for people well on that note i better say a massive thank you uh, to both cesar and to Giselle for well quite frankly such an informative conversation i will put all the links as or as many of the links as i can possibly gather uh, into the words that sit alongside uh, this podcast but obviously do reach out to find out more and to make sure that you guys likewise can be gender transformative um so without further ado cesar giselle thank you so much for joining us today thanks it's a pleasure thank you it was fantastic and if you like what you've heard today please do rate and subscribe to us i would also love to hear your feedback so please do drop me a line at any time i'm katie at businessfightspoverty.org many thanks Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.